First, foremost, Tommy, I am so glad to have you back. If they make me lead worship again, I'm leaving. They didn't, I'm joking. I'm joking. But at the same time, I am thankful to have you and your family back. You asked it a loaded question, though, and when you asked it, I was sitting there thinking, what is not on my mind? Oh, my word, people. We got a lot going on over the next couple of days, and I really really want y'all to pay attention to what's happening, but also I want you to please, if you can in any way, shape, or form, please join us. Help us tomorrow. We're going to be moving a lot of things from downstairs over into the new building to get ready for VBS. We've got a lot of kids signed up already. Um, I looked at the list this morning. I got up real early as I normally do, and I got a, looked at the list this morning, and I was a little bit nervous because most of the kids that are on this list, I have no idea who they are. And that makes me nervous in one way, one, because it's people's kids we don't know, but it also makes me a little bit anxious because I know of the opportunity that we have with these kids. Not only do we have that opportunity with these kids, but the week after next week, August 5th, I think I may have been told you the wrong date. Kari's not here to correct me if I'm wrong. But we will have all day with the teacher's kids as we help with the pre-planning camp for um, the Union County School System. And the reason I'm saying this is because we have a e huge opportunity for the gospel over the next couple of weeks. And this is what was on my mind this morning. As I sit there and I looked at the names of those kids and I prayed for each one of them. I had another prayer initiative that I wanted us to focus on this week and we were gonna focus on vacation Bible school next week, but this morning my heart was just torn towards these kids. And actually over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna to continue to pray for these kids. Because there's a good chance that these kids are gonna to come to this place not knowing who Jesus is. And we have a great opportunity, but not only that, we have a great responsibility to share the love of Christ with each one that comes this way. And this morning, before we get started, I want us as a church to take time. If you want to, go ahead and make your way down to the altar, because we're going to be praying over every single one of these kids. But I want to ask you as a church to join me, not just this week. No, I can't give you the names of all these kids. I would love to, but I can't. But I want you to please mark it in your phone to set a reminder, maybe at lunch. You know what? Let's do it as a church. At lunch, every day this week, 12 o'clock, let's take a little bit of time and let's really pray over these kids that we're going to serve through Vacation Bible School and also these kids that we're going to be serving through the pre-planning uh, pre camp. So if you will, anybody who wants to, join me here at the altar. Let's take some time and really pray over these kids. Oh, Father. First, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for this opportunity that we have to come together as a church to, to not only show our love and our worship to you, but also to love each other. But I also want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to serve so many kids in our community. I am so thankful for all the churches 
that have already been pouring into the lives of these kids. And I know that we're going to have some kids that have already been to vacation Bible school, but that doesn't bother me, Lord. It doesn't bother me because I know that sometimes you use multiple things to bring a child to understand who you are and what you've done. Just like Paul tried to explain to the Corinthians that sometimes Apollos had to water Sometimes he had to do the tilling, but it was you, Lord, who gives the increase. And Father, we're praying right now for your increase. Father, as I looked at these names this morning, I couldn't help but embrace the reality that there's some of these kids who do not know you. There's some of these kids, Lord, who this may be their first opportunity to hear about you. And there's some kids that this may be their hundredth opportunity in hearing about you. But Father, we pray right now for each and every one of these souls to profess you as Lord and Master. Father, I thank you for the song that was just sung because I so remember it as I share with a dear brother this week, Lord, about how my salvation come about at a camp in Athens, Georgia. Father, I pray that there will be a day that these kids look back and remember the day that you called their name and they will remember the day that they answered and said, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Father, I just pray that you not only be with the kids, I pray that you be with the parents. I think it's a missed opportunity that we, that we don't grasp a hold of a lot of times. Yes, we're ministering to the kids, but this is also a time for us to minister to these parents. And Father, as a parent myself, I find myself looking for so many avenues of help. But Father, you're the only help we need. So help us as these parents come, as they listen, as they eat with us, as they talk with us. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them while they are here. Father, again, I just want to thank you for this opportunity that we have to love on these kids. And Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would do a work in their life that can only be described and explained as you. Father, we need you. We need you to do what only we, you can. Yes, Father, we need help in being obedient to proclaiming your word, but we need you to do the work of salvation in these kids' lives. And Lord, I pray, I pray right now that the next couple of weeks would be weeks of salvation for our kids, for our parents, for even senior adults in our community. Father, help us to see a fresh wind, Lord, come about to where people are so broken by the sin in their life that they realize their need for you. But Father, at the same time, help us with our own brokenness. Every single one of us, Lord, even after salvation, carry certain broken things in our life. And one of the things that we carry with us the most is, is the view of ourselves. And this morning, Lord, as we dig into your scripture, I just pray that you would help us to see just how much you value us. 
Father, again, I want to thank you for these men and women and children who come out this morning. And I just pray that this morning you would not only speak to us through your word, but that you would change us with your word, Lord. Father, thank you for all that you've done. Bless this time that we have in prayer. Bless this time that we have in praise. And bless this time that we have in your word. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So at 12 o'clock, every day, set a reminder on your phone. I'll even have a reminder sent out. Let's pray for these kids. Prayer does not change God's mind. It does not. But prayer does spring God into action. And I want to see God do an amazing thing in the life of these kids. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about knowing God and why it's important to know God. And there comes a point to where, you know, there's just so much information that you obtain about knowing someone that sometimes you gotta step back and take a look at things of their life to help you really understand who they are. One of those things is seen in what people value. What do you value? What do you value in your life? Some people, Value your age. Now, I know some of you like, no, Scotty, I don't value my age. But no, with your age comes wisdom. Some of you teenagers are wanting to be older right now as I speak, so you're valuing the age that you will have to come. But some of you value your heritage, and I get that. I'm proud of my heritage as well. Some of you value your occupation. Some of you value your hobbies. Some of you value your kids. Not all of us, but some of you value your kids. No, that's a joke. But I want to ask you a question right now. What do you value more than anything? Physical possession. Physical possession. What do you value more than anything in this world? One of the things that I value more than anything in this world is this right here. You know what this is, right? You want me to turn you know what it is now? This ring was given to me on December 1st, 2007, right there. This ring was given to me by this beautiful woman right here up front. And this was given to me as a symbol of the vows that we took before God, before everybody that was here, and it was a symbol of our love for each other. Shortly after we got married, we had a water line bust in the backyard. So I had to dig up the whole backyard and got everything put back together, got the, everything right back down, was out there spreading hay, and I'm just sitting there throwing hay everywhere. I was wanting to be done with it. If you've ever had to spread hay, it's a miserable task. If you've got allergies like I do, you absolutely hate it. Well, I'm just sitting there strolling the hay, strolling the hay. I look back and I'm done. And I do my hands like this, just admire my work. And I notice something. This was not here. I went into a panic. I went into an absolute panic. I picked up every piece of hay that I had thrown on the ground looking for this 
one little thing. Jennifer come out and she asked me what I was doing and I told her, I mean, I was in tears. I've lost my ring. Being the loving wife she is, she said, it's okay, we can get you another one. Me being the baby I am is, I don't want another one. I want that ring. You gave me that ring right there. This ring is a symbol of that covenant that we made with each other. This ring means something to me. I looked day after day after day after day. And finally, stopped looking. We never went to the store to get another ring because it would never replace this one. Me and my brother-in-law were out in the yard one day. I had a little family picnic. And we're sitting there talking about just everything. And he, said, he just asked me, he said, did you ever find your ring? And I looked down on the ground and I said, no. One day I'm just coming out here. I'm just expecting to come out here and say, look down and there it is. And I kid you not, as soon as I said that, the words from his mouth were, you mean like this? He reaches down, picks up my ring, and hands it to me. <laughs> I was absolutely floored that he found it. But I was absolutely joyful that he did find it. Now, I know, to you, this ring don't mean much. But to me, this ring symbolizes a lot. It symbolizes, like I said, the covenant that we made. It symbolizes the love that we have for each other. But it's a gift. It was a gift given to me by my wife and it's a gift that I'll never forget. And I'm not saying every husband should hold the value that I hold to it. This is valuable to me. But by seeing that this is valuable to me, what does it tell you is also valuable to me? It tells you she's valuable to me. And see, as we learn to know who God is, sometimes we got to look at what is valuable to him. Last year, we talked about his view on sin, and that was a very, very, very unpopular and daunting sermon. But at the same time, we have to have a proper perspective of how he views things, and that especially comes to the problem of how we view ourselves. Every single person in this room battles with self-esteem issues. Am I wrong? And I know some of you say, no, I know some purity arrogant people. Let me tell you a secret about arrogant people. Arrogant people normally battle self-esteem more than anybody else. They just constantly portray themselves to be something else that they want to be. So being Arrogant, being proud, is not necessarily a factor of showing that somebody has high self-esteem. Matter of fact, a lot of times it shows the exact opposite. I am a person who battles self-esteem issues all the time. During the pandemic, and when all that was going on and we were doing YouTube, live YouTube, Every Sunday when I would get out of church, I would go to the parking lot after everybody would leave and I would hit play on my phone and I would listen to my sermon. And that was the worst ride home of any journey. 
Because I sit there and I critique myself. I sit there and belittled myself. I badgered myself. Even to this day, when I go home today, what do you think is going to be one of the first questions I ask my, my wife? How is it? Of course, she's a good wife and she tells me, oh, it was good, honey. <laughs> every once in a while, every once in a while, she'll say, it's okay. <laughs> she's got to be honest with me. But see, even I, as a pastor, battle with self-esteem. But the true, the true battle is not a battle of self-esteem. It's actually a battle of cross-esteem. Because, see, I have a perspective of myself. You have a perspective of yourself. You even have a perspective of me. I have a perspective of you. But do any of those perspectives really matter? No, because when it comes down to it, all that matters is what God says about you. A couple of things that God says about us can be found in Genesis chapter 1. If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bible to Psalms chapter 8, that's where we're going to spend all of our time. I want to read to you Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 27 to give us a little bit of understanding about what God says about us. God said... Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, <clears throat> over the cattle, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. We talked about this when we talked about the Trinity or the triunion God. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. I was having a conversation with a young man that Aaron had stayed with him the week this week. And we were talking about the creation thing, the whole dynamic layout of creation. And I don't think we really take a look at it to see what all God was doing. Because in day one, what did God create? All right, this is audience participation. Come on now. He created heaven and earth. What else was created on that day? It doesn't really say it, but water was created that day because the, water, the earth was covered with water, but there was something else created on that day. What was it? Light. Light. Very, very important concept. Light was created on that day. Anybody know what was created on the second day? Sending every one of y'all back to kids' Sunday school. <laughs> every single one of you. Going back. Day two, it's a little bit complicated because it says he separated the ferment of the sky and the, he placed the ferment in the sky and separated from the waters of the ground and the waters of the sky. Do you know what he created in that moment? He created a thing called an atmosphere. He created this thing that we have that hovers above us. We can't see it. It's called an atmosphere. It's what keeps oxygen in. It's what helps the temperature of the earth to be regulated and all that such. On the day, on the, um, sorry, on the third day, what did he create? Land. Land. Thank you. You don't have to go to kids Sunday school. You can teach it. <laughs> He created land. He created dry land. This is essential for us. For all of you who've been in the pool for many hours during the summer, what happens when your skin is constantly saturated with water? Becomes wrinkly, becomes pruny. Understand something. We wasn't created to live in water. 
On the fourth day, what did he create? You are definitely teaching this class, girl. You are excelling it. He created the sun, the moon, the stars, all the lesser lights. And again, if you like, if you like the whole aspect of space like I do, you realize that in creating the stars, the sun, the moon, all that, some of the things that we see in the night sky are not actually stars. Some of them are planets. We get to see Jupiter. We get to see uh, Venus. We get to see even parts of Saturn if it's uh, during the winter month. I absolutely love looking at these things. But he created all of these things as a greater light and a lesser light. Greater light for the day, lesser light for the night. On day five, he created what? All right, we're Baptists, and I expected a, I expect a Baptist answer for this. On day five, what did he create? Fried, fried well, not fried. <laughs> but on, on the fifth day, he created chicken. I will say this because I, <laughs> you got you to find the humor in it. He knew eventually we would eat chicken. He knew eventually that where one or more Baptists gather, a chicken must die. I mean, he honestly knew this was going to come about. So he created for us chicken and he created something else that I love. He created the sea creatures as well. He created all the fish. He created salmon. Mm, that's some good stuff. He created shrimp. We weren't supposed to eat them at first, okay? But we'll get into that on another sermon. He created all these beautiful crustaceans that we so love to boil and eat and fry and eat, and it was good. Uh, those were his words, not mine. On the sixth day, what did he create? He created something before he created man. He created bacon. <laughs> and ham. And ribeyes. And T-bones. Porterhouses. He created all the beasts and all the creeping things of the ground. And the last thing he created was man. And I know we've heard this saying before, but honestly... The reason he created everything before he created man is he was creating an earth that could sustain us. Without an atmosphere, we wouldn't be alive. He created light so that we could grow. We have to have so much sunlight in our life. Matter of fact, over the last couple of years, everybody's been coming up with this vitamin D deficiency. Let me help you with your vitamin D deficiency. Go outside for 30 minutes. Put down the video game controller, put down the remote control, anything like that. We have to have sunlight for vitamin D, which, help, which affects our immune system, which affects so much thing. Somebody told me that vitamin D is why men lose hair. So, Ricky, I don't know what to tell you, Bubba. Not only did he create the light, he created the land, dry ground for us to be able to walk on, for us to be able to build on, for us to be able to sustain ourselves. Then he created food for us so that we could, or created the lesser lights and the uh, greater lights and the lesser lights so that we could know the difference between day and night. But he, so we could have sleep. Think about that. If it wasn't dark, would we be able to sleep? Probably not, probably not. But then he creates chicken. Then he creates 
pheasants. Then he creates shrimp. Then he creates all these things that help sustain our body. And I know we were supposed to eat plants at first. I get that. But he knew things were coming. Then he created all the animals. And then he sets us there. And he gives us authority over all of it. Think about that for a minute. He gives us authority over it all. Now, don't get me wrong. That's something that you really got to wrestle with inside. But I want, what I really want you to wrestle with right now is this. Do you give authority to anybody in your life that you don't value? Husbands. Do you value your wife? Wives, do you value your husbands? Do you value your kids? Do you value your parents? I would say, do you value your boss, but we might get some ugly looks there. Whenever somebody is giving authority, they are given authority because they have value. They're not just given authority just because nobody else was present. They're given authority because they have value. And in this creation count, we see that God values most on earth. What he values most on earth is us because everything else was created for us. Some of you have a pretty bad view of yourself. Some of you look down on yourself pretty bad. I'm guilty myself. But I want to remind you of this. It doesn't matter what you think about yourself. Because when it comes down to it, all that matters is what God says about you. Another man by the name of David had this same thought one day. And in this thought... He wrote Psalms 8. And I'm going to go through it and I'm going to read the whole thing and then we're going to come back and we're going to take a couple of short snippets out of it. But this is what it says in Psalm 8. Lord, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established your strength. Because of your adversaries to make the enemies and the vengeful cease. When I consider your heavens and the works of your hands, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you take thought of him? Yet you have made him a little lower than God. And you crown him with glory and majesty. You make him to rule over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. When I read Psalms 8, I can't help 
But imagine David doing something that I absolutely love doing. I love during the fall and sometimes in the spring, but a majority of time in the winter. I love going outside, getting in a, getting a blanket, laying down on the ground and just looking up at the sky. The reason I like it in the fall and spring and mostly winter is because the sky is so much clearer. You can see every single star out there. It's even a little bit, it's even got a little bit cooler now. How many of y'all got to see Starlink? Any of y'all got to see that yet? When you see a line of lights moving across the sky, it will freak you out. You'll sit there and say, maybe they're not wrong about it, UFOs. But I love watching that. I love looking at, I love meteor showers. I love watching just the heavens proclaim his glory. But in those moments where I think David was too, I get this sense of realizing just how small I am. I mean, you ever thought about that? Just how small we are. Just in comparison to our own world. How small are we in comparison to the largest planet in our solar system? How small are we in comparison to the sun that all of our planets rotate around? How small are we to our solar system, which encompasses every single one of our planets? How small are we to our galaxy, which has multiple solar systems in it? How small are we in comparison to our universe? See, that blows my mind. That blows my mind. Because nowhere else in the scripture do I read about God sending his son to anywhere else in our universe other than right here. Other than right here. But let's look at this for a minute. And let's look at what the psalmist is saying. What is man that you take thought of him? And the son of man that you care for him. The first thing that we've got to see in this is he has made us a little lower. We need to have a healthy respect of God. And I know some of you may get caught up in the fact that my translation says God, little lower, little lesser than God, and your translation may say angels or heavenly being. I wanna explain that for a minute. Because a lot of people will get bent out of shape about these one little words. Well, what's your translation say? What's your translation say? Let's go back to what it is really saying. Because what he is really saying here is that you are a little lesser than Elohim. How many of y'all heard that word before? Elohim. What are some definitions for Elohim? God, what's another one? Huh? Lord, what's another one? Because it's used a couple of different times in different ways. One of the ways it's used is heavenly host. How we get the angels. The other way that it is used is heavenly beings. But to really see what he is saying here, we have to read it in context of what he is saying. So look at this real quick. He is saying that he has made us a little lesser than the angels, the spiritual beings, than God. 
And he has given us authority over this world. Elohim is used multiple times in the Bible as a figure of authority, as a figure of someone who is in control or in charge of the time or the situation. And David is using this term a little bit lesser than any authority to, translate, to really communicate this to us. Yes, we are small. Yes, we may seem insignificant. But to no other being that he has created has he given this authority. You know this? Angels have zero authority. You ever thought about that? They have absolutely zero authority. Angels, cherubim, whatever you want to call them. They have one thing that they do, and that is whatever God tells them. When it comes to authority, they have none. Paul even tried to explain this to the Corinthians. When he told them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, that don't you know that even you, the saints, will judge angels? Think about that for a minute. When we think about these angels, we think about these heavenly beings that have power. Yes, they have power. In the Old Testament, we've read about multiple times about how the angel of death had come and just annihilated a whole city or a whole army. They have significant power. We also know that the angels have great knowledge. They have massive amount of knowledge. They know God better than we know God. They're with him. They see him. They're in his presence. But the one thing that was never given to angels that he gives to man is authority. How many of you have ever got a promotion? Any of you ever got a promotion? A promotion is a very humbling thing. And the reason it's humbling is because, one, if you get a promotion, that means that somebody has seen your work. That means that somebody has seen your character. That means that somebody has recognized you and has given you this promotion to thank you and also to empower you with more authority to help the company that you work with. Now, I don't know about you, but there's been some cases in my life where I got a promotion, but I didn't necessarily get the pay. You know what I mean? You have been there? But that, did that diminish the thought of that promotion in your life? That somebody recognized you? Somebody valued you? And somebody decided to put you in a position of authority simply because of who you are? Some of you need to realize this morning, you just got a promotion. Because the way God views you is not the way this world views you. He give you authority. And that's something that we have to be very cautious with. It feels good to get a promotion. It feels great to get a promotion. But we must understand with every promotion comes added 
responsibility. See, that's what they never tell you about promotion. They just, you just think they're going to put you in charge. What people don't understand is the responsibility that comes with it. And right there in the text, it says that he has crowned us with glory and majesty. Those are the two things that he has crowned us with. And even in our worst day, when we feel like crud, we need to realize this. God has crowned us with glory and majesty, and he has a very high view of us, even when we don't have a high view of ourselves. And he made us ruler over the works of his hands. God made us ruler over the works of his hands. Let the weight of that sit on you for a minute. He has put you in charge of this world, of your world, of your possessions, of your occupation, of your time, of your influence. But the one thing that he has really given us authority for is the gospel. Remember, whenever we get a promotion, responsibility is added. And the responsibility of sharing the gospel is added to every single one of us. It's a little terrifying, isn't it? It's a little bit scary, isn't it? When you sit back and you think about the weight of what God put on us really is. And you know, there's been three times in my life where I have really experienced the weight of this. First weight, first weight was marriage. Man, that was an eye-opener for me. It was great, things were good before Jennifer. Had it made. I didn't have to worry about nobody but who? Me. I didn't have to think about any of the actions that I made, even though I know they affected my mom, they affected my brothers, they affected my sisters. I really didn't have to think about that. But when I entered into this covenant relationship with Jennifer, I had to come to a hard reality that everything I do affects her. Everything I say can come back to her. Everything I do can come back to her. Every way I act can come back to her. My actions, my life affects her life. And I know some of you younger, some of you younger age who are waiting for this day to get married, let me tell you something. The weight of marriage is heavy, but it is the greatest thing besides Jesus that has ever happened to my life. Because in that unity with me and Jennifer, it gave me something that life alone never gave me. And that was purpose. When I woke up in the morning, I wasn't just waking up for Scotty. When I went to work, I wasn't just going to work for Scotty. When I sat down at dinner, I wasn't just eating with Scotty. I had a companion that I knew God had given me 
to protect, to provide for, and to love. It was a great responsibility. And unfortunately, in today's time, it's a responsibility that has been diminished. And I know some of you are like, I can't wait to get married. Your time's coming. Your time's coming. During this time, get ready. Because after you say I do, it ain't about you no more. It ain't about you at all. But it is the, one of the greatest things this earth that has ever happened to me. The second thing that really made me understand this authority more than ever was these two right here. Yes, I understood authority a little bit more when I had my wife come into my life. But when these two come into my life, it really jolted me pretty hard. Because there was things about life, and I'll be honest with you, younger ones, teenagers, college age, listen to me. There is things that you're about life that you are not going to understand until you do have kids. And it's hard. It's a hard lesson to learn. But at the same time, the most scary thing that come to my mind when I knew the boys were coming to live with us is I'm responsible for kids. Now, understand this. I was the youth minister here for six years. I was responsible for kids for a long time. But those weren't my kids. I could jack them up on Mountain Dew and Little Debbie's and send them home. I, I could. I could uh, they were going home. These, when they go home, they're with me. It's different. But it's also scary. It's also scary because there's things I know in this world that I can't always protect them from. But that responsibility weighs heavy because I know that my ultimate responsibility to these boys and dads, listen to me on this, please. My ultimate responsibility to these boys is to lead them to their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Yes, I'm going to play soccer with them. And somebody else can coach them. It's okay to delegate coaching. It's okay to delegate some things of education. They don't need me to teach them how to read. They read better than their daddy already. But one thing that I can never delegate, dads, listen to me. One thing that you can never delegate is your responsibility to disciple your children and the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's why we got youth ministers. No, youth ministers are just like I am. I'm not responsible for your faith in God. You're responsible for your faith in God. But I am here to help shepherd you into these times. Same things with youth ministers. When it comes to your faith, it is dependent on you. When it comes to handing down this faith to your children, children, it is dependent on you, Dad. Listen to me. You can't delegate this out. You can't blame the church for your child not accepting Christ. You can't blame the pastors for your children not accepting Christ. And I'm not saying that you necessarily can blame yourself for, not, for your child not accepting Christ, but if you don't talk to them about Jesus, you most certainly can say, I have part in that equation. It is one of your most blessed responsibilities that you will ever have. I'm going to be honest with you, I'm getting a little anxious. 
I know Joe's getting a little bit anxious too for one as well. Because when you start having kids bring you big questions about God that you're like, oh, I didn't think about that before. (laughs) You know that God's doing a work in their life. And that's something I'm not going to miss out on. Because that is one of the responsibilities of the authority that he has given me. But the next one was extremely, even more eye-opening than that. It's one thing to have the watch care of your own family. But when I become a pastor and I had the watch care of multiple families come in on me, man, that was a weight. That was a huge weight. And it was amazing that all the things that I learned so quick Tommy has been extremely patient with me in my learning because I don't learn fast, do I, brother? Sometimes it takes multiple mess-ups for me to learn. Jerry's been extremely patient with me in my learning because, again, it takes multiple aspects. But there is one thing I have learned about pastoring that everybody can apply to their life as well. When you become a pastor, you no longer have the luxury to look at things from this perspective of your family only. There's days I miss it. Let me be honest with you. There's days I miss it only having to worry about the perspective of my family. Because when you become a pastor or when you become a manager or when you become a person of any type of authority, you have to look at it at a 360 degree perspective. Me and Aaron had this conversation not too long ago. And it was eye-opening for him too. Every decision that he makes for the youth, he has to really step back and look, okay, how is this affecting the youth? How is this affecting the parents? How is this affecting their schedule? How is this affecting your volunteers? How is this affecting the church as a whole? Because a lot of times we don't look at it that way. And this is where I want to bring it back to our life. Because we have authority in our life and it's eye-opening. So, How is the way that you're demonstrating your authority in your life affecting others? Because it is. It is. The way you live your life affects those around you. Maybe not to the degree that you think it does, but there's this little thing called influence that will carry with you your whole life. And there's two ways to be an influence. There's a good influence. We all know those. We all have those people in our life who've been a good influence in our life. But there's also the opposite of a good influence. There's the negative as well. What bothers me the most is when I sit back and I look at a majority of my life, I spent a majority of my life as a negative influence on so many people. And I don't want you to get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm trying to make up lost ground. Because you know what? In a small town, Blairsville, Georgia, you lived here all your life, people know your history. Christy, you know my history. It ain't good. Trent knows my history. 
Me and him, unfortunately, hung around a lot. Joe knows my history. Joe was my neighbor for a while. I thought Joe probably almost called the law on us one time. That was me and Trent too, by the way. (laughs) And you know, sometimes you have to just say, that was back then. And here's the direction I'm going now. And that didn't happen until I realized the authority that God had given me. The responsibility that God had given me. But a lot of us can't get over our past. A lot of us can't get over our past at all because of the consequences that we're left to live with. And you know, in today's time, we're hearing a lot about taking care of this earth that we've been given. And I want to say something that some of you are going to probably take wrong. But it is our responsibility to take care of this earth. I'm not talking about signing a green deal or anything like that. But it is our responsibility to take care of this earth. It is our responsibility to take care of this economy. Y'all remember back in COVID, we started getting checks handed out to us left and right. Every time I got one of those checks, the first thought that came to my mind is, here is a debt that my kids will never be able to pay back. It's our responsibility to take care of the economy. It's our responsibility to take care of the government. Mm. I'm just going to be honest with you. We ain't done a good job of that. But most importantly, it's our responsibility to take care of this right here. Because one of the most humbling realities that a person can come to grips with is when they realize that they are not going to be here forever. People ask me, so why do you still do VBS? Because I know one day from that VBS will come the next leaders of our church. So why do you do outreaches for the Teachers' kids. I mean, they don't even come to church here. Again, because the kids we minister to now will one day lead this church. And you know what, guys? When it comes to our climate, when it comes to our economy, when it comes to our government, and when it comes to our church, I want to hand what I've been entrusted with over a lot better to my boys than the way it was handed to me. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. authority that we've been given today with this church is only ours for a little while. One day, it's going to be theirs. And I am prayerfully over every decision trying to make a way to give it to them in a way that they can take the gospel of Jesus Christ further than we ever could. This is our responsibility. Scotty, you don't know who I was before. You don't know all the things that I've been through. You don't know what I did in my life before Christ. You don't understand. There is no way that God can have that much value for me, that he just give me authority. Well, he showed it to us in another way. 
And this, next slide, is the way he showed it to us. I've been there. To where I question, how is it that God could love me after everything I've done? Anybody else been in that boat? How is it that God could so love me that he did that? Because you see, to some people, that's just a religious symbol. But I want to tell you what that religious symbol represents to me. That religious symbol represents my sin. All the sins that I committed from the time that I was a little kid to the time that I go home to be with him. That represents every single one of them. Because that is the punishment for every single one of those. Because the cross isn't just some cute little symbol that you put on your necklace. The cross was an instrument of death. Our sin has one punishment. No matter the sin, like we talked about last week, there are no white lies. There are no little half-truths. There's only sin and not sin. Every single one of those deserve the same punishment, and that is death. So when I look at that symbol, I see my sin. I see my punishment. But when I look at that symbol, I see something else. I see just how much God really loved me. Because let's put this in perspective. We bring up that argument. God can't love me because of what I've done in the past but that symbol right there goes back further than your past. That symbol right there goes back further than 1977 when I was born. That symbol right there goes back further than 1948 when my mom was born. That symbol right there goes back further than 1942 when my father was born. That symbol right there goes back further than anybody in here when they were born. And this is what that symbol says. Before the foundations of the earth were even created, before he spoke everything into existence, before he made the atmosphere, before he made the light, before he made the ground, before he made the stars, the planets, the sun, before he made the ground, before he made the animals, before he made the fish, before he made the chicken, he came and sent his son. He said it in his mind to send his son to die for our sins. So you're sitting here telling me that God can't love you because of what you did in your past when God showed his love for you before you were even born. That don't make sense. As a matter of fact, it makes every single one of our arguments completely void. For those of you 
who have already come to a full understanding of who Jesus is and have professed him as Lord and Savior of your life. I want to ask you a question. How are you doing with the authority that's been entrusted to you? Even I've got work that I need to do. But I do know this. God must have a high view of me, of all my pastor friends, of all of you, to even promote us to this authority. So how are we doing with it? How can we really take hold and not be a ruler with an iron fist, but be a servant with a servant's heart to take this authority and use it for the gospel of Jesus Christ. For some of you, you've not embraced this authority because you've not embraced Jesus as Savior. And a lot of the things that I said resonated with you very much today. There's no way God could love me after I've done this. There's no way God can forgive me for this sin that I committed. Or there's no way that God could ever use me in his church for his glory. That says differently. Because on a cross, very, very similar to that, Jesus took on the sin of the world. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this morning, for some of you, God may be urging you to cry out to his name. If you realize the weight of your sin, but you realize the victory of this cross this morning, I'm asking you, as they sing, come meet with me. For the rest of us, maybe you need to just spend some time with God. Maybe you need to take some time to really wrestle with some of the things that you're dealing with inside. No matter what it is, this altar is open. You can pray right where you are. But this morning, I want you to deal with God as he deals with you. As Tommy and the praise team come up, I'm going to pray. And as I say amen, I want everybody to stand. And at that point, it's your response, time to respond. Tommy. Father. Man, I don't feel worthy, God. I don't even feel worthy to stand in this pulpit. And I'm still amazed at the fact that you've allowed me to have the opportunity that I have to shepherd this flock or to even speak the truths of your word. And Father, I am sorry 
because I have failed you many times, even after becoming a pastor. And Father, I just pray that you would help me to embrace the authority that you've given me and to love the people that you have sent me. Father, this is your church. These are your people. And these people have been given that same authority. That authority, Lord, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And I pray that we do not take it lighthearted. But Father, I know there's some here this morning who have never called upon the name of Jesus Christ. This morning, Lord, I pray that you would draw your children to yourself. Holy Spirit, do the work in us and all of us that only you can do. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we stand, as they sing, you respond to God. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.